The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Good to see you here this morning. If you would, turn to John chapter 19. And uh, I've been preaching through the sayings from the cross. And this morning, as we uh, come down to Resurrection Sunday, I considered... Moving up, I miscounted, I guess. I thought I would finish this on a Resurrection Sunday morning, but I'm not. And, and I thought about it and I prayed about it. I'm going to stay right where we are this morning uh, in John chapter 19. And we're down to the last three sayings. And two of them this morning we're going to kind of cover together. In John chapter 19, Christ is speaking from the cross. And as we look and, and see what he has to say, uh, we're in verse 28. Uh, and this is what he said, says, knowing that all was now completed. You're, uh, if you missed out on anything coming up to this point, some of you did, you can go to our website and uh, eastdeltabc.com and you can hear the messages leading up to this. But Jesus, knowing that all is completed so that the scripture would be fulfilled, in other words, so that prophecy would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst or I'm thirsty and a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put it on his, uh, put it on the sponge and uh, on a stalk with the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, "It's finished." And what he meant by that is Jesus came and he was talking to his disciples a little bit earlier and he was talking about his death and, and they said, you know, we'll never let that happen. And he said, hey, that's the reason I came. I came to die for your sins. I came to, to, to do the job that God sent me for. And at this point on the cross, he tells everyone, it's finished. I have completed the job that I came to do. But this morning, what I want us to kind of look at is that word, I thirst. And I was thinking about this. Just think to yourself right now, how many commercials you see on TV about thirsting? You ever thought about that? I mean, I see a rocky mountain stream with snow on the mountaintops and a blue can of well, that's Budweiser, ain't it? Coors is the one that's got the Rocky Mountain stream. And uh, that, that can is, is uh, got sweat running down the side of it. And some guy out there is thirsty. And boy, they say, this is what will quench your thirst. Or you see Michael Jordan. And if you drink Gatorade, you could play basketball like Michael Jordan because he's sweating and there's a bottle of Gatorade and it's got, it's got, uh, sweat running down it and he, he holds it to his, his head and he cools and he takes a big drink and then he goes out and, and plays like a, like the pro athlete is. Just think about that. Coca-Cola, the same thing. You know, nothing quenches like a Coca-Cola and, and all the things that, that we see on television and all the commercials we hear to what? quench our thirst. And, and then you can go to, uh, to the grocery store and get a 44 ounce drink. Or we can get a big gulp from 7-Eleven. You know why? Because, man, we're thirsty. And this morning, I've already had a drink of water. And I know it's not fair for you to sit there and watch me drink and say, man, I'm thirsty. I wish I could have something to drink. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus said, I thirst. I'm thirsty. And the Bible says he did that, that he might fulfill a prophecy But think about this. Jesus was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. 
as he was crucified, he spent the first three hours on the cross in the sunlight. The sun was beaming down upon him. Then we talked last week about this darkness that came upon the land and and the end of that three hours there was darkness. And as the darkness subsided, Jesus cried out during that time. We talked about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, the first three statements that Jesus made from the cross, it centered on others. It centered on other people. The, the first one, he, he centered on his enemies. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. The second statement, he, he talked about the thief on the cross, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and the, the third saying that he said from the cross, it had to do with John and Mary, his mother, as he talked to them. And so he makes this statement, but his last three statements are focused upon himself. I want you to think about his three statements. He said, I thirst in John 19, 28. He said, it is finished there in verse 30. And in uh, his spirit, he talks about, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that's Luke 23, 46. So at, at Jesus' last three words were this. It focused on his body, his soul, and his spirit. And all three of those things were offered by the Lord Jesus Christ to his Father. And that was his last three sayings. The shortest of these statements are, are the, the statement that we find here in John 19, 28 that says, I thirst or, or I'm thirsty. And in the original text, it, it's, it's one word for those four letters that, that he says, I thirst. And as we look at this, I want us to think about what this means for us today as Jesus has the, has the, 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 the thought and, and has the, the, the understanding to say, hey, I thirst. The first thing I want to think about this is Jesus is a sympathetic Savior. While Jesus was a hundred percent divine, Jesus was a hundred percent all God, He was also a hundred percent all human. Now, I, th- I know sometimes that's hard to comprehend. It's hard for us to understand. And as I said, well, go, I'm not sure we can always explain. And, and I think that's why Jesus said in the Bible that we believe by faith. He was talking to His disciples one time and He says, you've seen me and you believe. Blessed are those who will believe simply by faith, and that's us today, and, and we believe by faith. And one of these days, the Bible says we'll, well, our faith will become sight, and we can ask Christ all of these questions that we don't know today, but, but we need to realize that He was 100% human. As He walked upon this earth, uh, He knew no sin, but He was all human. And when we think about this, he, he, come, he, he was acquainted with our griefs. He was acquainted with our sorrows. He was acquainted with our difficulties. He was a child. We sing a song at Christmas that says, And the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Well, that's hogwash, you know. I hope that don't shoot down your Christmas carol, but he cried like any other baby. Why? Because he got hungry. And when he got hungry, he cried. And he got a dirty diaper. He didn't just lay there going, oh, Father, I'm so happy. He, he cried. I mean, we need to realize he was 100% human. Sometimes when we say, say that, we kind of think, well, that's kind of sacrilegious. I can't believe you're talking about Christ that way. Why not? He was all human. When he was a teenager, he probably had some zits and he probably liked some girl that he stared at and when she'd look at him, he'd look down and get all shy about it. And he probably had some girls he wanted to go ask to go out. Well, Jesus never did. Why not? He was all human. He worked with his dad in a carpenter shop. You ever worked in a shop? 
You think he got a splinter or two? You think he ever hit his thumb with a hammer and, oh, golly, Father, you know, you know, and, and just cried out that way? That was Jesus. He was, he was all human. And he understands what it means to be a man. He understood what it means to grow tired. He understood what it means to be cold and he understood what it's like to sweat and he understood what it was like to be hungry and, and he understood what it was like to be hurt. You know, the disciples, those that followed him all through his ministry, they all turned their back on him and left him, abandoning him by himself. He understood what it was like to be abandoned. He understood what it was like to be falsely accused when someone said something about him that wasn't true. And, and he understood those things. So when we think about Christ and we look at his humanity and we realize that as he was there on the cross, he said, I'm thirsty. I, I thirst. And, and the reason being is he really was all human as he was there on the cross. And as we think about Christ, he's a sympathetic savior. He understands where we are and what we are. And bumps in life, they're real. There was a, an airline pilot and he came over the speaker and, and there was some heavy turbulence there and, and in a smooth, soft voice, he said, no need to worry, folks. These bumps are simply made of air. Well, I guess that's true to a certain point, but you know what? Even though they're made of air, they're real. They sting, they smart. And when we have bumps in life and, and when we have baggage in life that we're carrying around, we need to understand Christ knows it. He understands the bumps. Over in Hebrews 4.15, listen to what it says. We have a priest, and that's talking about Jesus Christ. We don't have a Christ who is out of touch with our reality because he's been through weaknesses, he's been through testings, he's experienced it all, but with no sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he has to give us so we'd be ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help that Christ offers. Now that's read out of the, uh, of the message, it's a little more modern translation, but, but what that's saying is we have, a, we have a Christ who understands. He knows our reality, He knows our bumps, He knows our bruises, He knows our, our tough times, and He has something to offer us. He has hope that He might offer us. One of Denmark's leading sculptors, he, he had a burning ambition to create one of the greatest statues of Jesus ever made. And, and he began by shaping a clay mold into a, a triumphant, regal figure. And as he shaped this, he, he created someone that, that was a great figure. And he had his head thrown back and he had his hands up in victory and, and he was reaching out to heaven and, and he created that. And he, he said, this is going to be the, the great sculptor of Jesus Christ, the greatest ever seen. And, and he made him strong and he made him dominant. He said, this is going to be my masterpiece. This is going to be my greatest piece. And, and the day he was completed, he, he put him there in his shop and he was going to get ready to reveal him. And, and he left the window open there in his shop. And, and there on his shop, he lived out on the sea. And that night a heavy fog rolled into the area and, and sea spray began to seep through that, that partially opened window. And, and as it began to go through the window, it began to, the moisture began to uh, attach itself to this, to this figure that he had created. And those drops of moisture, they, they formed on the statue and they, they created an illustration, a look of, of someone who was bleeding. And, and through that, that moisture in the air, the, the head began to droop. And, and as, as the head began to droop, 
roof, the, the arms begin to fall. And as they begin to fall, the next day when he came in, the, the head was down and, and the arms was down and, and there, was, there was sweat drops of blood or there was drops running down the arms and, and down the head. And, and the, the, the artist looked and he, he immediately thought, my, my masterpiece is ruined. And it says as, as he stopped and as he began, to, he began to look at that form and he began to see the facial expressions that, that had been transformed to, to this kingly figure, to, to a face of compassion. As he looked at the arms that had dropped and the head that had dropped and, and began to look at, at the attitude of welcome that the statue had, he, he took the statue and, and as he looked at it, he realized that that was the masterpiece and he took out his his writing instrument and at the bottom of the statue he wrote there on the base of this newly formed figure come unto me and and he understood that was who Christ is he's the sympathetic savior he's the one who says come unto me he doesn't sit upon a throne as as mighty and great and look down upon his children waiting to to throw some kind of judgment down he's a savior that looks at us and says come unto me the second thing is Jesus' is scriptural Savior. You know, I, I know people doubt Scripture sometimes. I know they, they, they doubt that Christ came. And, and I don't know if there's any here this morning, but, but I want us to think just a little bit, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to think a little bit about prophecy. You know, prophecy in the Old Testament, for a couple of thousand years before Christ ever came, the Old Testament was being written. And in the Old Testament, there were some things written that was a prophecy or foretelling of Christ that was to come. And here's a couple of things. In Jesus simply saying, I thirst. You know what said in our scripture a while ago? Though, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty or I thirst. That was prophesied way back in Psalms. Thousands of years before, this is what was prophesied. They gave me wine vinegar for my thirst. That's Psalm 69, 21. Psalms 22, 15, he says, this is a description of, of a crucifixion. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Before crucifixion was ever thought of, before the Romans had ever practiced crucifixion, before anybody knew what crucifixion was, it was described in Psalms 22. And the Word says, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That, that, that Jesus would fulfill those prophecies. When you go to the Bible, there are 332 distinct prophecies that would be fulfilled in Christ. Did you hear that? 332 distinct prophecies or predictions that would literally be fulfilled in Christ. For those who, are, who doubt Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, they, they may say, well, this, these things just happen. It's just a coincidence. I mean, these things happen and, and people kind of twisted around. Here are just a few things that were beyond human control that, that were prophesied or that were predicted years before. The place of Jesus' birth in Malachi 5.2, this is the Old Testament. It's prophesied that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And you, Bethlehem, you being the least among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall f- come forth me, and I'll become a ruler in Israel. In Israel. He who's going forth have been told from old, from the days of eternity. The time of His birth, Daniel 9.25 
Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, and, and the streets shall be built again, and the wall, and even times and difficulties. In, in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a, law, a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. That's talking about Christ and the obedience of his peoples to him. Now, we read Daniel, and you say, well, how are you coming up with that? You have to go study Daniel. You have to look at those weeks, and, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but, but that's the fulfillment of the time of Christ's birth. That's beyond his control, wasn't it? The manner of his birth, Isaiah seven fourteen. This that was a prophecy years before. So the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. The manner of his death, Psalms twenty two sixteen. And you have brought me into the dust of the earth, for dogs have encircled me, uh, me, and a band of spoilers has held me in, and they've pierced my hands, and they've pierced my feet. Those are prophecies that, that were years and years before Christ came that he could have had no control over. Professor Peter Stone, he, he, in his book, he, science speaks. He, he demonstrates how, how coincidence is ruled out by the statement of probability. In other words, these things can't just be coincidences. And in his book, this science professor, he studied these things. He says by using the science of probability in reference to only eight Old Testament prophecies, only eight of them. He said, for Christ to come, or for a person to come, any man, through that time and fill only eight prophecies. Now remember, Christ filled 332. He says the probability would be one in, I don't know how to say this number, but it's 17 zeros after one. That's the probability that one man could fill Eight of those prophecies. One in 17 zeros. Suppose you took silver dollars and you took one with 17 zeros and you begin to place them on Texas. Those, those silver dollars would cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep. The whole state. And then suppose you made a mark on one of those silver dollars. And you told a man, I'm going to blindfold you. You can walk from Charleston, from East Delta, any direction in Texas, but I want you to find that one coin. That would be the probability of him finding that one coin, one in 17 zeros. And listen, folks, Christ fulfilled 332. Now, you can't just take my word for that, but if you want to go and and do your own study and you want to go to the Old Testament, you want to begin to look at the prophecies of Jesus Christ and you can go to the New Testament, you can begin to compare. You can find 332 times that Jesus Christ fulfilled those prophecies. He is the scriptural Savior. The Bible proves it. Prophecy proves it. So Jesus Christ came when we come to this time of the resurrection. And, and if we have any doubts about who Christ is, there is proof in the Bible. There's understanding in the Bible. The Bible and history backs up the fact that Jesus Christ came just as it was foretold. And He is the Savior. Here's our last thing this morning. He's sufficient. Jesus was thirsty to be sure because of, of physical 
agony. He experienced that upon the cross. And I, I want to remind you that, that He had just come through those three hours of darkness where God had turned His back upon Him. He had just come through that lonely time of being, of being abandoned by His friends. And, and He come to the point and He says, I've finished and I've paid the price. I, I've done all that's been required. I was abandoned by the Father. I, I've gone to hell. I've experienced hell so that you won't have to. I, I've gone through and I've defeated Satan and, and you won't have to. In Luke chapter 16, it talks about hell being a place of thirst because it says in Luke 16, 24, it's talking about the rich man and Lazarus and it says the one there in hell asked, said, dip the finger, dip the, the, the tip of his finger in water. And let him come that he might cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. There are people in hell today that are saying, I thirst. I, I thirst. I, I'm dry and I, I, I'm parched and I thirst. Hell's a place of eternity for thirst. Hell's a place of suffering. It's a place for, for those who never accept Christ to, to spend eternity. But listen. Christ went during those dark hours and He defeated hell. And He defeated death and He defeated Satan. And He said, you know what? I don't want any of my creation to experience that. I don't want anybody that, that can hear me to experience that. And He said this about heaven in Revelation 7. And they shall hunger no more. And neither shall anyone thirst. In Revelation twenty two seventeen. Last invitation in the Bible says this. He invites all of those who are thirsty. Let him come. Let them come unto me and let them take the water of life, which I give freely. The question is today, do you thirst? Do you, do you still thirst? All mankind is thirsting. Man thirsts for, for reality, for fulfillment, for, for satisfaction. Or forgiveness. That, those are things that we have, and, and that's a thirst for God. And some people don't realize. They try to fill that thirst with all kinds of things. But, but Christ says, if you come to me, I'll fill you and you'll thirst no more. John 4.14 is where I want to close this morning. But those who drink the water that I give, they'll never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, which gives them eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we realize, Lord, that You are a compassionate Savior, that you, You've experienced every trial just like we do. You've experienced our troubles, even our joys. And Father, You want to be a part of that. And Father, You loved us so much that You sent Your only Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but would have an everlasting life, Father, that we could be filled, that we would thirst no more. Father, You've put to death and put to bed all those doubts that we could come up with, all of those coincidences that we may could think of. You've put those to bed knowing that, that You fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And Father, You offer us life eternal through Your resurrection. We know, Father, that for us to die today is just a, a short time if we've accepted You that we'll be raised again one day. That our body and soul will be reunited. And, and Father, You're going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And this earth that we live on today, it'll be a new place with, with perfection all around. And Father, we'll be perfect not because of us, but because of what You've done upon the cross of Calvary for us, Father. Lord, I thank You that You told us 
that it's finished. We don't have to do the work. We don't have to pay the price. Father, we simply have to come to you believing that you died for our sins and asking you to become our life. We know, Father, it's our turn. It's our time. Father, I pray this morning that as your spirit moves, we would feel you moving within our hearts. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.